Second Corinthians chapter four verses seven to eighteen. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We've talked before about how disciples of Jesus have an eternal perspective and today we're going to make that really personal. I want each of us to be asking ourselves the question, do I have an eternal perspective? And then we're going to really make the, hit, the rubber hit the road by considering, okay, so if I do have an eternal perspective, is this something which is merely theoretical or cognitive? Is it just something I know about? Or is it something which is practical? Is it something that I live? You see, most people who believe in Jesus would be very quick to agree, yeah, I've got an eternal perspective. We know that this life is short. We know that eternity is long. It goes on forever. But do we then translate this into the way that we actually live? Because one thing that I've learned in all of the years that I've studied the scripture and in all of my years of being a Christian it's that being a disciple of Jesus, it's not really about how much I know. Being a disciple of Jesus is about following. It's about following my Lord and my Saviour, Jesus Christ. And to follow Jesus involves a very practical outworking of this new eternal life that he's given us. Following Jesus isn't just a theory, it's life. So even in the world, some people have a very short-term perspective, while others have a much longer-term perspective. I don't think this was ever more evident to me than when I first started work. And all of my mates I went to school with and, and I, we all started earning a bit of a living. And I noticed that we were all very different in the way that we spent what we'd earned. And you would have noticed this too amongst your peers, I'm sure. Uh, some people have a very short-term perspective. 
as soon as they started work and that they could then arrange to borrow as much money as what they possibly could from some kind of dodgy finance company, whoever it was that would give them a big loan so they could buy themselves a fancy car and stuff. And, and then they'd go for the credit card or maybe two or three of them and, and woohoo, I can actually buy all the stuff that I want now and I can just pay for it later. You see, the world was offering them all of these things and with their very short-term perspective, they thought, oh, yep, that's good. I want one of them and one of them. I'll do that. And, and I don't know if they ever considered the cost or whether they didn't, but the long-term cost of immediate gratification is going to be a long-term debt. And it was something that would stifle them for years to come and, and it did impact on them for the rest of their life and right through into retirement. But then there are others who were very forward planning and they spent hardly anything on their car and they, they spent hardly anything on, on trinkets or, or, what, or gadgets and, and they invested their money instead. They, they invested it in one of my mates, he bought a little farm and, and others bought houses to rent and others invested money into the share market and, and if they borrowed money it was going to be invested into something that would pay itself off and then give them a long term return. And looking back, those people who had the very short-term perspective, um, well, they would they, probably now be saying, oh, look at those other people. They were so lucky, they got all the breaks. I didn't get the breaks that they had. But of course, the reality is that it was their short-term perspective that sunk them. But it, it doesn't just stop at financial decisions. It's also to do with relational decisions and ethical decisions. A quick harsh word now may result in a decades-long broken relationship. A one-night adulterous liaison can put an end to a marriage that might have otherwise been very long and very happy. One moment of rage can lead to an assault or even a murder and then a criminal record that will follow you for the rest of your life. In exchange for a short-term high, person gets drug-induced psychosis uh, that'll leave them with mental illness until the day that they die. Some people make very bad decisions because they go for the short-term gratification option instead of thinking about the longer term and instead of thinking about if they'd done it a different way, how would it go? And it's really wise advice to take the longer-term view. And you understand that, don't you? But do you realise that so far in everything that I've said, I've, only, I've still been talking from a worldly perspective. We haven't even touched on the eternal view. Worldly wisdom, sorry, worldly wisdom can very quickly recognise the benefits of having a longer-term view over a short-term view. But worldly wisdom can't see the benefits in an eternal view. See, worldly wisdom, it, it can only weigh up the benefits as far as it can see them. It, it only values the benefits that it can see. It can only value the benefits that we receive in this life. But just, just for a moment now, I'm going to jump right to the end of our reading, the punchline, I suppose. Paul says in verse 18, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
They're temporary. They're passing. That's what that means. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, the dilemma for us Christians is we've probably been brought up with the very good worldly wisdom view of taking a long-term view of things. And that's become our mindset. But when we have a truly eternal view, well, to the world, that's actually more foolish than even the short-term view because they can't see any benefits at all in the long-term view because they can only see what's seen. They can't see what's unseen. And so it becomes a very real test of our faith to be able to live out an eternal perspective on life. Right, so over the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about the glory of God. And we've been learning about how we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. God is making us more and more glorious through his Holy Spirit living inside of us. God is transforming us and making us more and more like Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit are growing in our life. That's the glory that he's talking about. But when you look at my outward appearance... Am I looking more glorious each, as each year goes by? Not really. And don't laugh, Doug. You're not looking particularly glorious yourself. Um, Robin told me the other day that I'm starting to look really old. Um, she's blaming the, my grey beard, of course, because she doesn't like it. But, but I have noticed myself over the last few years... I'm starting to get a few aches and pains. I've had dodgy shoulders in the last year that have really impacted me and, and my ankle that got fused after an accident a number of years ago, it's giving me more and more pain at various times. Here I am, God is transforming me from glory to glory. But what's happening to my body? It's degrading. It's getting weaker and more painful and older. Paul says in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The treasure is the glory that God is developing in us. He, he's preparing us for eternal life in his glorious presence. Now, I don't know if you realise this or not, but we just, we just sang that Christmas carol, Away in a Manger, do you realise that every time we sing this Christ, that Christmas carol, this is what we're praying for? In the last few lines of that song, we pray as we sing, and fit us for heaven to live with you there. Right? That's like saying, Lord, put the treasure of your glory into this jar of clay that is my body to prepare me for eternity. What's he mean when he's talking about a jar of clay? What, what do we use jars of clay for these days? In your kitchen, you'd have a lot of jars of clay, wouldn't you? Oh, you don't. Do you know why we don't have jars of clay anymore? Because they break. They break all the time. Why would we use clay when we can use some... Glass is much stronger than a jar of clay, by the way. Tupperware, plastic stuff, much stronger. 
An ice cream billy is better than a jar of clay. Um, I was thinking of an illustration at this point, and um, Robin's got these figurines that she puts up on the shelf, and every now and then they get knocked over. And we've got this one that's been headless for quite a while, and see people sort of go there and sort of think it's like some kind of satanic <laughs> um, altar thing that we've got set up with this headless figurine there. But it's just that every time I glue the head back on, it just gets knocked over and broken again. And I said to Robin, do you mind if I use this as a demonstration? I might just glue the head back on and then I might just knock it off and it'll just smat, smash to smithereens. She said, you can do that, but you've got to buy me another one. And I balked at that. So I glued the head back on and sat it back up on the bench and I decided I'd use Robin as show and tell instead. Right? We're very mindful of just how breakable and how fragile we are. See, a jar of clay is breakable, it's temporary, and so are our bodies. Our bodies are fragile. There's my show and tell. Robin, I might even get a snapshot of it for the video to show everybody at Von Jean when, when they're looking. One simple slip, and she broke two of her leg bones a total of three times. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but God has designed our bodies to be weak, temporary, and breakable. And we sort of think, hang on, God, you're supposed to be really good at designing things. Well, that's the way he intended to design us. He designed us that way to demonstrate that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's the phrase that's used there, surpassing power. Uh, but, but what's that surpassing power he's talking about? He's talking about the power for him to raise the dead or the power to go on living forever. Australia's population is getting older and older. And I don't want to offend anyone, but there might be a few examples of that here. But it's becoming big. <laughs> Did you just tap your dad's shot? Scott, that's hardly fair, is it? I saw that, Christina. Goodness me. I thought, I thought Jake would be pointing at me, but he didn't. Oh, actually, he's just behind Adra, I couldn't see. But it's big business to help our ageing population to extend their life for maybe a month or two, maybe a year or two. And in our health system, we've got things like healthy ageing initiatives and whatnot to, to try and help keep our bodies strong. And if your body is strong enough, you might be able to live even to 90 or maybe even 100. And if you make it to 100, well, good on you. And if your family requests it, you might even get a letter from the Queen congratulating you on reaching 100. If you manage to live a long life, it's glory to you. Um, you would have all seen little news um, interviews when somebody's turned 100 and they've still got their faculty, faculties enough to talk, they, they like to interview them and, and they always ask the question, what's your secret? How did you manage to do this? How did you manage to live such a long life? Now I'm pretty sure genetics must have a little bit to do with it. Um, Robin's grandmother turns 100 next year I think, isn't it? 
not, she turns 99 this week, so she turns 100 next year, and her sister turned 100 last year. Uh, that's not Robin's sister, by the way. It's her grandmother's sister turned 100 last year. And, of course, we want to ask people like this, okay, was it because of your genes? Or, or was it because of their fitness? Or is it because of their lifestyle? Is it because they didn't drink or smoke? Or, or was it because of their diet? What did they eat? And, of course, they all ate a lot of salt and stuff, so there you go. That's all good to eat salt. Um, but... <laughs> People know what people dig me about, don't they? But it's glory to you. What did you do to live this long life? But we can't say that about eternal life. Scientists are searching for the ageing gene, if there is such a thing. Some of them claim to have found it and they're now treating mice to try and stop it. But if they reckon if they can find a way of switching off what they call the ageing gene... Well, they, they won't only become Nobel laureates, they'll become gazillionaires, won't they? You imagine, if somebody can find a cure to stop you from getting old and dying, some people would pay everything to get that. They'll never succeed, though, because eternal life requires the power of God. God designed our bodies to be weak, temporary, temporary and breakable for a reason. He did it so that he can demonstrate his power by raising us from the dead to eternal life. Now, this is good news, isn't it? As a disciple of Jesus, do you find that good news? That God is... Go Goodness me, none of you do. I was sort of expecting you to go, oh, yeah, that's really good news. God's going God's to gonna take my weak body and he's going to demonstrate his power by raising me to life. I'm starting to see people a little more enthused, even if they're not moving a muscle in their body. I do see a few smiles. But this is especially good news for the persecuted church. Remember when Ting Ting was out here a few months ago she stood up here and she was sharing with us what it's like for her to be a Christian in China. And with a big smile on her face, she's saying it's not really a problem if we get arrested or even killed for our faith in Jesus because as her pastor said, it's glory. And the way she said glory is like, it's glory. It's like, hey, that's not, that's a great thing to happen. See, our bodies are fragile. And those who persecute disciples of Jesus are quite able to break our bodies. They can torture our bodies and give us enormous amounts of pain and then they can eventually kill our bodies. But that's not the treasure. Our bodies are just the vessels. Our bodies are, are but merely jars of clay and the glory that God is developing in us, they can never touch that. And by killing the body, they expedite our transition to future glory and eternal life. And so Paul's able to say, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Right? No matter what affliction you go through in life, whether it be persecution or whether it be 
some other kind of affliction that we all suffer in our ordinary everyday life, it cannot crush us. It cannot crush you because it cannot touch the treasure of God's glory that he is working within you. He says we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Yep, we will find ourselves asking, why is this happening? Lord, why do I have this sickness? Why do I have this disease? Or why does my loved one going through this? Or why is this happening? Why do people hate us Christians so much? Why are we being persecuted? Why are we despised for following Jesus? Now, now I find this a, a very human admission here. We're perplexed. Sometimes we don't get it. We, we see all of these things happening. We experience all of this stuff happening. And we're perplexed. Why, God? Why? He says, but we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Because we've got a greater hope. And Jesus has warned us that tough times are going to happen for us. And it's for the glory of Christ. He says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. Um, Paul and his fellow missionaries, they suffered a lot of persecution. And yet there in Corinth, the false teachers there were, were saying, there you go, there's the evidence that God isn't with these blokes. If God was with them, they wouldn't get persecuted. But it, the exact opposite of that is what's true. When we are persecuted for following Jesus, God is never nearer. He is with us. God never forsakes us. He says we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Even if we are killed, that's not the end of us. I love the Salvation Army euphemism for death of a Christian. Anyone know what it is? Promoted to glory. What a, what a, great, what a great term. When, when a Christian dies, they've been promoted to glory. We might get struck down, but that doesn't destroy us. The clay jar that we are might get broken, but the treasure remains intact. You see, the persecution of the Christian church is never a sign of its weakness. In this persecution and through this persecution is demonstrated the power of God. And we go through persecution for a purpose. In verse 10, Paul says that we're always carrying in the body the death, or perhaps a better um, translation of that word there could be killing, right? So we're always carrying in the body the killing of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now that sounds all airy-fairy. How do we try and wrap our minds around that? Well, once again, it's a very practical thing. We're always carrying in the body the death or, or the killing of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He says that. But then he goes on to explain it. It's to do with evangelism. And the reaction that we get when we share the gospel. 
right? It's to do with sharing our faith. If you haven't been copying much persecution for being a Christian, you, you probably haven't been sharing your faith very much. If there is one thing that, that, that will make the persecutions come on and increase, it's when we share our faith. And I reckon there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, the devil hates it. The devil hates it when you start sharing your faith and, and he, he'll use every tool that he has to try and stop us from sharing our faith and persecution is one of those tools. And the second reason persecutions come when we share our faith, I reckon, is because the gospel itself is offensive to people. Now, some people don't understand how the gospel is offensive, but it is. Some people are so sure of their own goodness that they don't want to be told that they're a sinner in need of a saviour. And most people want to be their own Lord. They want to be their own master. They don't, they've got no interest in submitting to Jesus and making him their Lord and making him their master. And so the persecutions increase when we share our faith. Why would we do it? Why would we do it? And for that reason, some of us don't. And this is where the rubber really hits the road for us. If we are truly living with an eternal perspective, persecution and even death is no barrier. What do you really believe? Is your faith real? Here's a bit of a test. Faith cannot remain private. Faith drives us to open our mouths and for the words of being a witness for Jesus to come out. In verse 13, Paul quotes the Old Testament, but he's actually quoting the ancient Greek version of the Old Testament. It's what's known as the 70 or the Septuagint. Okay, so in Paul's day, that was the version that was most common to, to most people. Um, and so he's, he's quoting the equivalent of our Psalm 116 verse 10. But if you go and look it up in the Bible, you're going to find our Psalm quite different. And the reason for that is he is quoting the Greek translation from back in his day, whereas our Bibles are translated from the Hebrew. And so that's where the difference comes. But he says this. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, all right, so what has been written in, in the ancient Greek version of the psalm, I believed and so I spoke. He says, we also believe and so we also speak. All right? Faith, what you believe, cannot remain private. We also believe, right? So that's what, they, that's what they know and that's what they believe. What action does that force them to do? And so we also speak. It was true for the psalmist. It was true for Paul. It is true for us. As we preach the gospel, more and more people get to hear the gospel. And more and more people have the opportunity to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus. And the more people who receive the grace of Jesus Christ, the more disciples of Jesus there are to give him praise and thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
And Paul says in verse 12, death is at work in us, but life in you. Right? So because Paul and his missionary mates were willing to put their lives at risk by sharing Jesus into the world, those who hear this message, they get a chance to receive eternal life. Right? If they didn't put their lives at risk and didn't preach the gospel, they wouldn't, those other people wouldn't get a chance to hear the gospel and wouldn't get a chance to receive eternal life, which is why he can say, death is at work in us, but life in you. We're going through the tough grind so that you have a chance to receive the gospel and follow Jesus. And so Paul and his missionary mates, they go on speaking and they go on speaking and they go on speaking and in their mind, it's not, it doesn't even matter if they're killed for their faith because they are so confident in the resurrection. How confident are we in the resurrection? How confident are we? Does the way that we live reflect our confidence in the resurrection? He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. The second letter to the Corinthians, it would actually have to be one of the least popular books of the New Testament for a preacher to preach a whole series from. But you get to readings like this today, and I'm just simply amazed. Um, it just keeps building, and it's building in the glory, right? We, we proclaim Christ because of his glory in us, right? So because of Jesus' glory in us, we proclaim Christ. And then as we proclaim Christ, his glory increases and his grace increases and thanksgiving to him increases. And those who suffer and who are killed for preaching the gospel, that doesn't matter because they're raised by the Lord Jesus and it doesn't stop there. Those who hear their preaching and who receive the grace of Jesus because of their preaching, they don't miss out on glory either simply because they haven't been martyred. Paul says that he will bring with us, sorry, bring us with you into his presence. More glory, glory all round. You're catching the vision here. Glory. If our hope, if our greatest dream if our very existence is merely bound to this life and merely bound to what we can touch and see and feel, if that's our hope, then we'll very quickly lose interest or lose heart. But when Paul thinks of the increasing glory of God, he says this in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, when you think about how our outer self is wasting away, what do you think of? 
What do you think about? You might think about the way that we're ageing. Or you might think about sickness or disease. You might think about, I think about my dad when he got lymphoma and pancreatic cancer. And he was just wasting away and wasting away. Some people might think of psychological conditions like depression and anxiety. We tend to think about the stuff that debilitates us when we think about how our outer self is wasting away. And when we think about these things, our encouragement might be, okay, my outer self is wasting away. Right? I, I am dying. I am sick. I am getting old. Okay, I, I accept that because my body's only temporary anyway. My inner self, though, the glory that God is renewing in me day to day, that's the treasure that's going to go on into eternity. And so we don't lose heart. Okay, I can deal with getting old. I can deal with being sick. I can deal with this disease because I know that, that that's only going to be the end of this physical life. It's not going to be the end of everything. I'm going to be raised. Right? And that's fair enough. That, that's a good way for us to understand it. But do you realise, I don't know if you realise or not, but, the, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about persecution. When he's talking about our outer bodies wasting away, he's talking about the way that our fragile bodies are impacted by persecution. As they were preaching the gospel, yes, a few people will give thanks and praise to God, but most don't like it. And the weight of persecution will come down on the preacher. Now, I'm using the word preacher here, and you're probably thinking, whew, I'm not a preacher. But the thing is, I'm using it in the way of somebody who shares their faith. Anyone who is a witness for Jesus. He's talking about this is something for all of us. And even though Paul has been chased out of town after town after town, He's been flogged within an inch of his life. He's been stoned and ridiculed. He considers this stuff as light, momentary affliction. Can you get this? Christians were being killed and slaughtered. Their lives are at very risk. And he considers this light, momentary affliction. Do you get that? When disciples of Jesus suffer for their faith but continue to preach the gospel, how can any level of affliction and persecution count for anything compared to the eternal weight of glory that we have, which is beyond all comparison? It just doesn't matter. Persecution in all of its barbarity, right? Don't think for a moment that I'm making light of persecution. It is hideously horrible. But compared to eternal glory, it's but light momentary affliction. So let's come back to where we began and ask the question. Are we living the eternal perspective? I'm not just talking about, okay, do we know about eternity? 
I'm asking, are we living as if eternal glory is our reality? Where everything else compares very little to its glory. Does the glory that God is growing in us and the eternal weight of eternal glory that we look forward to, is it driving us to open our mouths to share Jesus with a world that's perishing? What would stop us from doing that? No persecution, no suffering, no mocking, no ridicule, no threats could possibly deter us. They're but light momentary affliction that's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you believe it? We also believe, and so we also speak. Let's keep speaking. Let's keep being witnesses for Jesus. You know, a couple of decades ago, as I, as I was reading the scriptures, it's sort of like you see that so much of it is about encouragement for the persecuted church. It's encouragement for Christians, for disciples of Jesus, in a culture that was against them. And a couple of decades ago, I sort of used to say, you know, persecution might even come to us one day. But I am increasingly seeing this taking place in our culture today. Our culture is becoming very much against Christians, very much against the disciples of Jesus. And we are targeted by certain groups within our, within our own culture here to try and shut us up, to try and stop us from speaking the truth and trying to stop us from sharing the gospel of Christ with the world. This is becoming a reality for us in our age. And these scriptures are becoming more and more relevant for us. Are we going to be shut up? Or are we going to keep sharing Jesus with the world? We also believe, and so we also speak. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you do not desert us. Lord, we want to thank you that in every part of our life, you are right there with us. Lord, we want to thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit inside of us who is transforming us and, and increasing your glory inside of us. Lord, we confess to you that there have been many, many times when we have not lived out this eternal perspective that you've given us. Too many times, Lord, we've, we've seen the here and the now, we've seen the consequence for us, and so we We've remained silent when we had an opportunity to share. Or we've prioritised our lives along temporary things instead of eternal things. God, forgive us. And Lord, I want to thank you that 
you are the God who doesn't give up on us and, and that when you forgive us that you'll pick us up and you'll set us back on the path that you want us to be following. And Lord, this path of being a disciple of you is a challenging one. But Lord, we fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. This eternal weight of glory that, that comes in the resurrection when we will be with you. And Lord, help us to not be deterred from the mission that you give us, to share your gospel out into this world. Lord, help us to be people who, who are proud of you and who don't hide our faith. And Lord, we pray that many people in this town and in this district would hear the good news of Jesus and that you would touch hearts and lives and that you would bring more, more people into your eternal glory. In Jesus' name, amen.